Man, the presence of the Lord is here tonight, yeah? Yes. Evidenced by Taco Bell here tonight? Some of you guys are like, oh, Jesus, no. It's great. It's good to be here with you guys. We live in some crazy times right now, don't we? I kind of want to put the world in time out. I have like two young kids. Like I can't go on Facebook, can't go anywhere. Like I'm losing friendships. I'm like, I don't, like I'm being annoyed by the world. And it's not even like the political leanings and different things that are happening, but it's actually a lot of my fellow Christians and what's coming out of their mouths and what's revealing in their hearts. And the title of tonight's message is Good Theology for Challenging Times. It's important that Christians have the correct theology when looking at the world. I want you to have a biblically-based view of how to understand what's happening in the world, but I also want you to have a theology that has a bias towards action for yourselves. Because your highest calling isn't that you go to church. You know that. If you're a believer, if you're in Christ, your highest calling and level in your spiritual formation is not that you attend church. It's not that you like Jesus Christ on Facebook. It's not that you have a Jesus fish sticker on your bumper. Your highest calling as a believer is not that you stop sinning. And the kingdom needs more people who have the right theology about who God is and understands the world, but also has the right theology about themselves. Because God is in you. We study God apart from us and try and figure out who God is apart from us, but God is in you. And so the study of theology actually is a revealing uh, pursuit of who you are. If God is in you, then it says something about who we are. And the only reason I jumped into this message because I'm passionate about this topic, but I, I heard the Lord say, like, you won't change the world when holding on to bad theology. And so there's one Christian response I keep seeing over and over and over again, whether it's tragedy, whether it's politics, whether it's ISIS, whether it's Syria, Aleppo, everything and beyond. And it's been repeated over and over and over again. And these are the four, I think, most damaging words that you can utter in the faith. And it's God is in control. I already know I'm offending half of you guys here tonight. And it's okay. No one needs to, I'm totally okay if you don't agree. I'm okay if you don't like me. Please come back, though. I'm, but I see this in different forms and fashions. We, we look at tragedy. We look at disease. I had a friend who lost a brother-in-law today. And so many of the responses like, it's okay, God knows what he's doing. It's okay, God is in control. I'm a closet Facebook debater. I try not to debate too much. But I'm like going back and forth and people are like, God's always in control, always. And you feel kind of like you're not saved to kind of question it. And I preach this message to you guys tonight, being fully converted from only about five or six years ago. You can probably go back to the podcast and find me preaching an opposite message from tonight. But I'm going to share why I believe those four words, God is in control, and the belief that God controls everything, are not only dangerous to your faith, but they actually are going to stifle and suppress what God wants to do in your life. 
I also want to give you a blueprint of Satan's design to keep you ineffective. And I also want to awaken you to the potential that lies within you. It's so funny that um, Nathaniel said, kicking butt in Jesus' name. I'm all about that, except I'm using a slightly different word. I'm using the King James version of donkey. And last week I was uh, speaking at UC Davis at this little panel and group, and I said it. I just like just ran with it, you know. <laughs> Kick A in Jesus' name. I know there's kids in here, so I'm not going to run with it tonight. But and everyone like jumped back. You know? <laughs> They're like so worried. But that's that's what we're called to. We're actually called to thrive. We're called to flourish. We're called to raise the bar, not lower the bar. And so I don't mind if you disagree with me tonight. That's totally okay. Hear me out. All I just ask is that you have strong opinions loosely held. Be okay to have your opinion changed, but also just seek out the scriptures. Seek out what you believe, and I'm going to share what I believe with all my conviction. Are you guys ready? Yeah. All right. So God controls everything. That sounds fine. It sounds like it should be in the Bible somewhere, right? It's actually not. When I'm like, oh, where's, you know, all the different passages on God controls everything. It's, it's such a prevalent belief, but it's actually shockingly absent in the scriptures. And now before you, like, pull out your phone, like, wait a minute, you know, and you're going to, like, start sending me and emailing me passages in your NIV translation, <laughs> let me clue you into something. Is that the NIV so often will take words that mean authorship, authority, created, fashioned, and use the word control. In the NIV, you actually find the word control 54 times. But in the entire New Testament, it's only nine times. Every instance, it's self-control. But we've adopted this mentality that God controls everything. And so I'm not going to go in detail and dismantle all those different verses. I've actually done a, a decent... Uh, in-depth word study. Let's all share with you guys that. I'll pull the, the, the leading passages that describe it. Email me, eric at epiclife.org. I'll send you the whole entry. You guys can learn from that. Um, but it's shocking that how absent the notion that God controls everything, but we have this very one clear passage in 1 John 5, 19 that says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Hold on. Well, which is it? Is God in control or Satan in control? We don't have a single passage in the Bible that explicitly says God controls everything, but we actually have a very clear passage here in 1 John 5, 19 that says that the world is under control of the evil one. Interesting. Here's the thing is that God controls everything is not a paradigm held by Jesus nor the apostles. Their words, their lifestyle didn't match that paradigm. Jesus says three times in John that Satan is the ruler of this world. Paul says to the Ephesians that Satan is the power of the air working around us. Jesus describes Satan as the sower of bad seed among us. Paul points a finger to Satan in both the letters to the Ephesians and the Thessalonians that Satan is coming against the works of the kingdom and thwarting their efforts. Paul says to Timothy 
that Satan entraps people to do Satan's will on earth. Satan is the one who takes advantage of us. He's also the one who masquerades as an angel of light and disguises him. Jesus declares Satan a stumbling block and also a thief who steals the saving word of salvation from hearts from believing. Revelation 12 tells us that woe to the earth because the devil is upon it. It doesn't sound like God controls everything to me in that paradigm. And you see, Jesus and the apostles clearly drawn the lines of the works of Satan and the works of God. And you see this fervency towards action. Because the paradigm that Jesus and the apostles had was that God is in charge, not in control. The theology that God is in charge, not in control. Let me give you a quick example. You guys know if you've been around here long, I love the story of Job. Job is a man who believed that God is in control of everything. He said God gives and takes away. Job never knew it was possible for anything out there to take from him. And he let Satan take from him everything. Not a single time in the entire book of Job does Satan ever, or does Job ever utter the word Satan. Not a single human being in that book. Besides the narrative of what happened. So the theology of Job is God controls everything. But the theology of Jesus is that my father's in charge. And I take what the devil is controlling here. And I take the authority of God who's in charge. And I portion it here to change the circumstance of what's happening right now. So if you want a theology of God controls everything, you better be careful because your life might begin to look a little bit like Job's. Instead, we should be believers modeling Jesus who said, God is in charge and I take authority over what's happening right now. And they looked at the evils upon the earth and they didn't point to God and say, God, why? They actually pointed the finger at the devil out of the devil's control. And because... God is in charge. We use our authority that he's given us to dismantle what he is doing. And this is the exact blueprint for why Jesus came from heaven to earth, not only to save you. Jesus didn't come to earth just simply to give you some fire insurance after you pass away. It says this in 1 John 3, it says the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. If God controls everything, Jesus wouldn't have to come to destroy the devil's works because destroying the devil's works would probably be destroying God's works if he's controlling everything. And that's what leads us to the next truth is that when you believe God is in control rather than being in charge, you develop confusion between the works of God and the works of the devil. When you believe God controls everything, how on earth do you distinguish between the works of God and the works of Satan? The theology of God controls everything, which sounds noble, sounds amazing. It blinds us to the personhood of Satan. Let me say that again. When you adopt a theology that God controls everything, and what I mean by controlling that renders everything certain, That God's will was that you were here, which I kind of agree. But also that every detail of your life is rendered. There could not have been another way. That's what the theology of God controls everything is. 
And when you have that theology, how do you distinguish between God and Satan? And does it even matter? How many know in the Bible you're called to resist the devil? We're called to destroy his works. Did you know that in Romans 16 it says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet? Your feet. How does one effectively crush Satan under their own feet when they believe God is controlling everything? And here's the truth about that is that you cannot take authority over something you cannot identify. How do you effectively engage in spiritual warfare if you can't distinguish between Satan and God? You see, Jesus, this very one time, he had some trouble having a demon cast out. They're having some issues. You know what he did? He said, tell me your name. He had to identify and to know what he was dealing with, and then he was able to take authority over it and cast out. You cannot take authority over something you cannot identify. But we have authority, don't we? Right? You better believe it, we have authority. Now, what use is authority if you have no ability to change the situation? Authority without the ability to influence the outcome is no authority at all. So either you feel like Jesus needed to give us an ego boost. You know, sometimes we give people positions that are really meaningless, nothing, like it's just entitled only. Because I just want them to feel included. I'm going to give you a title. Don't do anything, but you have a title. That's not how you were made. When Jesus gave you authority, he meant it. He was serious about it. He wanted you to be serious about it. And you cannot take authority over the devil. You can't notice his works. You cannot be victorious against his works if you are not mindful, able to identify and see the difference between them. And when you believe that God controls everything, you're also put into the impossible position of trying to rationalize evil deeds according to God's good character. When you believe that God controls everything, you are put into the most impossible position of rationalizing evil deeds to God's good character. You see, the devil's plan was to spread this theology, make us all feel like we're being really pious, really religious. We got it all. God controls everything. Awesome. And then for him to go and cause destruction, propagate disease and suffering, and then put a thorn in our flesh of, God, if you control everything, how do I explain human suffering and tragedy? How many times, like... I'm so dumbfounded by when people ask me about acts of evil, I'm like, you know there's a devil, right? (laughs) I get emails all the time like, help me understand why God is doing evil on the earth. I'm just like, he's not. This shouldn't be that hard to understand. God is good. All the time. There it is, and all the time. Thank you. And there's a devil, and he's bad. Yes! (laughs) Yes! And the equation that we got is that evil acts come from good God, but we just can't explain it yet. 
It's the modern theology of our time, is that evil acts, God is sovereign, he's in control, and we just don't understand it yet. And we come up with all sorts of metaphors and analogies and all sorts of things. And I was one of those per- people like making those things up. I had really good ones too. <laughs> and we think that, oh, it's just, it's for my good. And until you become a father, you become a parent, you realize you would never, ever do the things to your kids to have them come close to you. And so as my friend who just lost the brother-in-law, it's not like, oh yeah, God really needed you, know, you to be closer to him. This is like to help you press in. It's a twisted theology. And we need to call it evil for what it is. Because it's blinding us to the thief who steals, kills, and destroys. He's the original murderer. And somehow we've completely removed him from our vocabulary as we look at evil in the world. So you have to look at these massive events of suffering and evil and Aleppo and Syria and refugees and children dying in oceans and look at these graphic images. And if, if you believe that God controls everything, I want you to go watch one of the horrific ISIS videos of someone being killed and tell me God's sovereignty and his reign in those times. And when you're in that position, you actually have to be confronted with it. God is in control, but he's not doing a really good job. You cannot defend that. I will never defend God's purpose in those acts and evil. But somehow we spend so much time, unnecessarily trying to rationalize these evil demonstrations with the good God. It's really the number one question I get asked. Someone comes to me like, hey, insert evil, awful atrocity that happened to me. Where was God in that time? Why did he do that to me? It's like he didn't. He didn't. And somehow it falls upon deaf ears because we've been so trained to believe that God controls everything. And just because you believe that for so long doesn't make it true. And man, we have a lot of confusion in the body of Christ about this. How many know when Jesus left earth, he left us in charge? He left, he's like, I give you the keys of the kingdom. I've given you all authority. He says, you will continue the works I've been doing. What did Jesus do when he was on earth? He cast out demons, he healed the sick, and he brought wholeness to people. That doesn't sound like most Christians and churches I know of. I don't know about you. But man, do we have a whole lot of confusion about this in the body of Christ. It's almost like confusion is an instrument of the devil. Because God is a God of order, not of confusion. The devil is anti-Christ, right? So if God is order, then the enemy is confusion. 2 Corinthians 11, it says this, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. You thought Satan just stealed, killed, and destroyed. He actually causes confusion. Confusion, make no mistake about it, is a weapon of the devil. Satan's temptation, if you remember about Eve, it wasn't like, do you want this really tasty apple? It's green and it's so delicious. That wasn't the temptation, was it? 
I was like, did God really say you can't eat the fruit? Causing confusion. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, Satan used scripture and twisted it. Good thing Jesus had updated theology and knowledge of the scriptures. And so the next time you're thoroughly confused, take a sniff and see if you can smell some sulfur around you. Because it very well might be an instrument of the devil trying to lead you astray from the simplicity of devotion to Christ. I look at people's spiritual lives and what they say about God, and I'm like, it's so confusing. It's so difficult. When God, when Jesus talks about the kingdom that's accessible to the children, if you have a five-year-old, I can explain the entire gospel to my child, and she gets it. But now we have these like really complicated frameworks for theology that just baffle my mind. And I believe in there, like I want to be knowledgeable, excellent. I want to have all those different things. But the, the basics of devotion to Christ shouldn't be as complex as some of us make it. And here's the trap about that is that we go in pursuit of knowledge. We go in pursuit of understanding. And then we get confused. You get people like, I've just got a lot of questions right now. I think that was a major at my college that I graduated from. It was a Christian college. All these people I graduated, like, I just got a lot of questions about God. I just, like, I'm just wrestling. I've, you know, like, angst is like this, like, manufactured result in so many of our Christian institutions that mean well to empower and equip you, but the instrument of the devil to cause confusion paralyzes us. And that's the next thing, is that confusion leads to inaction. Oh, I'm just trying to figure it out. I just got a lot of questions. No, 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 no. Don't, don't mistake. Like, I'm up for hunting for the truth. Because 2 Timothy says that the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I believe that. But there's a point where confusion becomes paralysis. Now, Satan, you have to know this, is that Jesus promises no one will ever snatch them out of my hands. Your salvation is secure. No doubt about that. Amen? Amen. So Satan cannot steal back your salvation, right? The greatest thing he can do to your life is actually get you to be inactive in the kingdom. Satan's greatest and primary mission against you, the believers, is actually just to render you ineffective in the kingdom. That's his sole cause and desire for those. So how does this relate to God controlling everything? Is that if you believe that God controls everything, then there's no apparent benefit or consequence to whether you act or not. If you believe God controls everything, there's no benefit nor consequence of whether I do something or not do something. I know of people who don't give to missions because they believe everybody who's going to be saved is going to be saved. They believe like, you know, whether I do something or not, God's in control, he's sovereign, and it's going to happen how it's supposed to happen. And it sounds fine, it's just not true. It's not the biblical worldview at all. Acts, I'm sorry, Romans 10, uh, 14 says, how then... Will they call on him, referring to Jesus, in whom they have not believed? 
How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Clearly right here the Bible is like, uh, our lives matter. What you do is significant. Your decisions, who you are, is, is really substantial in shaping who people are and how they're coming to Christ. And you see this profound urgency in the scriptures. Traveling over land and sea and fighting snakes and all sorts of things. And you see this just fervency and veracity of their passion to pursue the, the kingdom because they believe that it matters. They believe that they are advancing it. And so the biblical paradigm looks at the problems of the world, the conventional biblical paradigm that we have, not the one I'm talking about now. It looks at the world and says, God's in control. But the correct biblical paradigm says, we must do something because God is in us and he's on our side and the world needs us. The world needs you. Your relationships, your family needs you. You need you. <laughs> Do you know what really gets my goose? Is that a saying anybody knows? Probably not. <laughs> Is when people have the ability and the means to help someone in need, and then they answer, I'll pray for you. You have the ability, you have the means to help someone, and you're like, no, 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 I'll pray for you. Again, it sounds really nice, but you know they never pray for them. At least I never did. I'll pray for you. Whenever I say that now, I was like, I'll pray for you, and we're going to do it now. Because I mean to, but I don't. I have a tension span of like a goldfish, and it's just like gone. And like, I won't remember. Like, I have to do it then. Even if it's like two seconds, you have to do it then. And so I remember, this is a number of years ago, someone from our community had their car light on fire on the freeway. Like, burned down, like, pfft, like, elfine, gone. <laughs> it's over. Like, oh, we got all these people praying, like, for breakthrough in car. He's got... You know, job, he's like trying to work out. This is before the days of Uber. And so he's like trying to figure this out. Comes to me, he's like, you know, this happened two weeks ago. We're all praying for a great miracle. Awesome, let's pray. You know, God, would you give him a car? And like, would you provide for transportation? And all of a sudden, in my ears, like, you own three cars. You own three cars. I'm going to keep praying for you, God. Would you just send someone? To, you own three cars. Just contending for breakthrough. God, just do something like this. Someone maybe like has an extra car and is like me. And the Holy Spirit's like, hello, McFly. You are the answer. You are the answer to the prayers. And if I wasn't current with the Lord, if I wasn't like in tune with this Holy Spirit, I was just like, oh, awesome. Well, God bless you. I'll pray for you. <laughs> and God revealed to me that I should never pray for someone's breakthrough when I actually have the capacity to help it. And secondly to that is that don't pray for God to do something that you won't do yourself. 
don't pray for things that you won't do yourself. I understand it when you don't, you can't contribute. You can't help. Praying is the only thing you can do. I get that. There's no problem with that. Sometimes that's all we have. But there's other times when we have the answer. We are the carrier of God's presence. We are the miracle. We're the breakthrough standing before them. And we say, I'll pray for you, which is another way of saying, not it. And so there's been a person I've been watching in faith wrestling with why is there all these bad things in the world? I'm like literally watching his faith unravel Facebook post after Facebook post. Centrally around, why is there so much evil? Why is there so much suffering? And why is there a God who claims to be good? Again, it's the indirect way of God controls everything. So I'm like watching this. I'm like, oh, dang. You know, like other people are chiming in. You know, from all these other faiths, come on, be in community. Like, we'll like, you know, talk about it, whatever. And so then he posts this one, quotes a Bible verse, says that God is your provider, will provide for you, look at the sparrows, blah, 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 blah. And then adds, the WHO says that three million children die of starvation every year. God feeds you and cares for you. And then stat, three million children will die this year from due to hunger. And I wrote in his comment, well, why don't you feed them? Feed one. You non-contributing zero. I didn't add that part. I should have. But how do you respond to the needs of the world? Are you inspired to take action? Or is it just like, it's okay because God's in control. And when you believe that God is in control of everything, the response to pain and tragedy that you witness is to question God instead of looking in the mirror. I know that's tough to hear. But when we look at the pain and suffering, when we look at the problems in the world, actually the worst thing you can do is say, God controls everything and I, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't have to do anything with me. The goal is not to shame us into guilt or any of that stuff. It's just to actually enliven us that we've been called to more than attending church and not sinning. We've been called to be the hope of the world, the city on the hill, the light that shines bright. And so just like this person questioning God for what's happening I just want to like tell you guys to know that we need to stop holding God responsible for something you didn't do. Stop holding God responsible for something you didn't do. And I laugh because people sometimes will say in this vein, oh, I have a lot of questions for God when I get to heaven. I'm like, he's got a lot of questions for you. Here's the thing. They're probably going to be the same questions you're going to ask him. And finally, the belief that God controls everything is that this belief effectively neuters the body of Christ of the power it possesses. I have a horse vet 
for a wife. <laughs> Neutering horses is something amazing, let me tell you that. They're the tools that part with that are quite scary. But that's what I look like in the kingdom is we have all this power potential. And we aim, we actually have good intentions to love Jesus and we step back and say, it's all right, God controls everything. And it effectively completely reduces and minimizes everything that's in us that's possible. I go so far as that belief that God controls everything is actually insulting to how powerful God made you. I'd personally take offense of it. It's like the blood of Jesus wasn't cheap. My transformation wasn't like on sale. Like there's no coupon codes for your life, right? Like Jesus meant to give it all so that you could have it all. And you look at, if you just want to have your mind blown, study your transformation post-cross of who you are. Acts 1 says you've been given all power. Matthew 16 says you've been given the keys of the kingdom. Luke 10 says you have all authority. 1 Corinthians 2 says you have the mind of Christ. Ephesians 6 says you have the armor of God. Ephesians 1 says you've been given every spiritual blessing. It's insane. You are God's greatest invention ever come true to shape the world for him. Does God control everything? I don't know, but if he does, then he wasted a lot of time making you into a world-changing machine. If God controls everything, then he wasted a lot of time making you into the most amazing vessel that is designed to shape and change the world. It's a total waste. He didn't save you for nothing. I just have faith that God's in control. Okay, well, what are you going to do about it? I just have faith. Faith moves mountains. I just got faith. Not going to get myself involved because that would be inconvenient. <laughs> but I have faith. Except for James 2.17 says, Faith by itself, if not accompanied with action, is dead. Faith is the very thing that inspires us to stand up and to take a stand and impact the world. Taking action is the very thing you were made to do. It's in your DNA, the blueprint said, world-changing machine across the top of it. And whatever it is in life, taking action is always the natural outflow of your transformation. So how does God change the world? He changes it through you. Do you know Philippians 2? It says that God wills in you to act and to will according to his good purpose. To fulfill his good purpose. God works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, if you don't will and act, what does that mean? It means that God's good purpose isn't fully realized. That breaks a lot of people's theology. But it should say that I've been exceptionally equipped not just kind of saved, but radically saved and radically empowered. And that God is accomplishing his will on earth as it is in heaven through me. And I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be utterly shocked to learn at the level in which God invited us into impacting the world. Here's something interesting, something I'm studying. I'm not done with it yet. I can't find a single instance in the New Testament where there's a miracle, a supernatural act, anything miraculous 
apart from the participation of another man. I don't see Jesus operating by himself without any other participation from people. I see no miraculous efforts that happen just because God kind of felt like it and he didn't ask me to. I find every single instance so far that there's this union between God and man. I'm also finding in the Old Testament, go wait in the water and the Jordan River will part. Extend your staff and I'll part the Red Sea. Could it be that we don't see the breakthrough that God has purposed for us on earth because we actually refuse to participate? Could it be that we don't realize and see the breakthrough on earth? Hold on, not even the earth. Your life, just because you refuse to participate. What God has designed and purposed in heaven for you, he's actually inviting you to participate with him in that. Maybe we don't even know that we've been called into participating with God. Maybe we have no idea that we have the keys of the kingdom. Maybe we won't even know that God's in charge and not in control. And you might be thinking, I don't know what to do. <laughs> what do I do? And you're stressing out. You're like, you feel all this like motivation, like, let's go change the world. But maybe like some of you are like stressing, like, what does that mean? Absent from the scriptures is Jesus having a planning committee, deciding the events we're going to host and the gatherings we're going to form and the mission trips we're going to you know, send out. And you see this, this dynamic flow of Jesus ministering as the opportunity arose. He didn't stress out about it. He's like, oh, man, next week i got four meetings. I have to figure out. He never went on like, okay, we got to find some people caught in adultery. If we can find a tax collector too. Oh, and a crippled man. Yeah, find them all tomorrow and we're going to go do and we're going to do some ministry he just simply lived his life and responded to the opportunities that came up so don't stress about it don't be like ah i gotta figure out something galatians 6 9 tells us that as you have the opportunity do good you don't need to plan things you don't need to like go home make new convictions you just need to be aware that you are the world's greatest world-changing machine, and as opportunities come up, you respond. You don't have to take responsibility for something that you don't have ownership of or, or can control, but the things that you can control, do them well. Get yourself involved. Don't be afraid to do that. And here's what I leave you with. It's Romans 8, 19. It says, creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The world is waiting for you. The world is waiting for those who know the truth to reveal themselves. The world is waiting for you guys to realize that you've been made amazing. You've been given every spiritual blessing. You've given all authority, all the keys. You have everything that you need, and all you need to do is to start living like it. I once heard the quote of, like, God's greatest hindrance on earth is God's people failing to behave like God's own people. So whether you feel inspired to... Go out and live it differently. 
whether you feel like inspired, like pursue a dream, an idea you have, whatever it is. Also think about yourself, like whatever is in you, what, maybe the greatest world-changing force that you need to overcome is actually in your own life, in your own heart. You're like, I got needs of the world like at home, <laughs> you know? And that you need to start there. You need to have the same mindset that every single thing about you, you've already been equipped for victory in. We need to stop labeling ourselves and giving ourselves permission to fail. And give ourselves all these permissions to say, I'm not going to do it because I don't have the equipping, I don't have the anointing, I don't have all these different things. It's just malarkey, you do. And so whatever is in you and needing to arise in you to be changed or misdirected or just healed, like it's already in you, it's in the body. And for those who feel like, I need to start shaping the world, I need to start doing the things that God made me to do, as you have the opportunity to do it. I love you guys. Thanks for being here tonight.